We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Welcome back. New season, new series of podcast guests coming up. Today we're joined by John O'Sullivan and Jerry Lynch talking about team cohesion and the complexity around it. What are some ways that coaches can introduce this into their pre-season planning? Do we have a bias towards winning teams and great cultures? How do we deal with individual players that maybe are reluctant to embrace their roles and the team ethos? This and much, much more coming up in this interview. John and Jerry have just released a new book, which is in the podcast notes. Let me know what you think. If you enjoy it, if you're listening to it, if you want to give it a shout out, the best way to do that is to go on Instagram, MSC Education. We're almost at 10,000 followers on the Instagram page. It just helps get more ears and eyes on what we're doing, support the work and all that great stuff. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy. Here's John and Jerry. First off, Jerry, John, thank you so much for joining us today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Thank you so much for having us here. Me too. Been looking forward to reconnecting with you, Gary. It's been too long. I, I'm a, you don't know this, but I, I read all your stuff. Like I, I stay off social media except for LinkedIn. And I enjoy your LinkedIn and your game analysis stuff. And I, uh-huh. I, I read all of it. So I'm like a voyeur. I follow you for a while, but it's been a while since we chatted. So it's good it to catch been. up again. No, it's good. This is, this is a great topic. And, and I think the timing of it is really, really good. It's why we got a massive response. We had uh, over 200 coaches sign up for this. And, and a lot were saying, hey, when's the replay out if I miss it? So Champion Teammate is the book, Timeless Lessons to connect, compete, and lead in sports and life. And I've got some specific questions about the book uh, later on were my questions. But what I wanted to kind of go through it was was actually like, let's talk about current times. Um, and, and my first question was, was the inspiration behind the book the fact that you think it's harder in team dynamics in 2023? Do you think it's tougher than ever or was it just natural evolution of where you were working towards? I mean, I think Jerry, right? Like, I, I think it was both. It was definitely a natural evolution of what we were working towards. And I mean, Jerry's, you know, Jerry's done, this is, you know, he's done 17 books. This was my third, right? But neither of us had a book on teammates. And so in the evolution of our work, right, I'd done a book for parents and a book for coaches. And and then I kind of wanted to do one for athletes. And certainly in the team development work that I do, um, there, you know, there, and and that Jerry does, of course, there's, there is a need for this and like a book that we could send to the teams we work with and say, Hey, go through this as a group and all that sort of stuff. So 100% that that was one of the things. Um, But I also think it's more important than ever. I think it's getting more attention than ever. Um, No offense to a tactical uh, analyst like yourself, but you know, I think we spend too much time thinking about the X's and O's and all the X's and O's and great sessions and fitness and all this other stuff without the inner game, without the connection, without especially in a game like soccer, without the, the belief and the trust in each other that I'll do my part and you do your part. I mean, it all goes out the window, right? Systems mean nothing if I don't I don't do what I'm supposed to do. So, so I think it's, it's also more important than ever, uh, given the society and the world we live in and given the, the evolution of the game for sure. Yeah, I agree, uh, John. Uh, it, it's more important than ever. Uh, I've been at this game for a long time. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, I've been doing teamwork and team building and championship, uh, at the championship experience and getting all that wonderful wisdom and and you know I always remember uh, early on it only took one one bad apple in the bunch and that one bad apple would spoil the entire book you know bushel 
And it used to annoy me that one athlete could get away with that. So I learned early on that that was a problem. Uh, I didn't address it right away because everybody seemed to want to attack the mental game and what have you. But you know, it's funny, the, the mental game, you don't have to go, you don't have to go and try to make a mental game out of, out of your work. What you do is, is you find out how we're all human beings and how we can relate to each other and how we can be good people toward each other. And from that place, people will want to work hard for each other and they'll find something bigger than themselves uh, to fight for on a given Saturday afternoon. And so John approached me, uh, I don't know how long ago, John, it was three years ago, and said, would you be interested in collaborating on a book? I said, yeah, sure, I'll give that a shot. Uh, it was kind of a, the right involvement from our relationship from the beginning. And uh, I said, so what's the topic? And he said, becoming a good teammate. And I said, wow. I said, I've not written a book like that. I've done leadership books, performance books, all kinds of books. And, and uh, I said, I've never had a teammate book, but boy, is that important. I'm so glad you called my attention to it. So I, I bought in right away on that one. And then uh, a couple of years later, uh, we decided to attack it and, and we did. And uh, I'm so thrilled that, that we have a book that can address a problem that I saw 40, 45 years ago. Well, I definitely agree that, that there's a there's a real demand for it today. Team dynamics today are such a big thing. I respectfully disagree that the ta the tactical because I get that a lot. Well, the tactical if you get if you get you can put whatever systems in place, but if you don't get the relationships right, but it goes the other way too, right? If your coaching is poor, you're going to lead to more communication issues. And I've never seen a really good detailed tactical coach have numerous problems with communication because of it. It goes, I think that sometimes that gets tainted. I knew, John, you would you would bring that up. So I <laughs> second question. My second question is, all right, so you can, you can because you can measure the physical, all right, the scientists will say, all right, you can measure that. And I can measure the tactical stuff and, and look at that objectively and certain things and that there. How do you measure this thing of like being a good teammate without being bogged in a bias of the relationship? That, that's like the key question for me. Hmm. Jerry, why don't you start? And, and I'll just give you kudos, uh, Gary. That's one of the best questions anyone's asked us, I think, of all the podcasts we've done on this book. That was a really good question. So I'm going to let Jerry go first. Yeah, and I, and I understand the question and where it comes from. And, uh, you know, we're all waiting to see uh, where's the data. Uh, well, I have some data. Uh, I have 115 championship teams to my credit. Uh, it wasn't my full responsibility, but I was intimately involved in these 115 championship teams, which go from the high school level all the way up to the professional level. Now, what I've noticed is that every one of those teams, one of the key ingredients was having good teammates. And so what's happened is I personally have not done any studies, formal studies, uh, measuring uh, input and, and output and what have you. But I have noticed that all of those 115 championship teams, they all had one thing in common. They all had a team that was galvanized. They all had a team that worked for each other. And when someone wasn't on board with that, the coach was willing to pull them aside and say, look, you join us or not, it's up to you. We want you here, you're talented, you really get the game, but if you're not on board with this, we're happy to let you go and you go on your way. And that's happened occasionally. But I, I kind of go back to, uh, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm not as smart as, uh, but I like to think that uh, I think a lot like Albert Einstein thought. You know, he was very criticized by his peers and uh, he intuitively, and by the way, I'm gonna use this word intuition because the scientists all get freaked out by it. Intuition, if, if you look at it in the, in the dictionary, it means two things simultaneously. It means wisdom, but it also means knowledge. And what it is, it's wisdom based on the knowledge you've created over a period of time from your experience. So it's real, real knowledge in, in a sense. 
So, but Albert Einstein once brilliantly said, uh, he said, you know, he was being criticized by his peers and he said, I'm not gonna wait 10 years for me to do something that I intuitively already know is true. So I've taken that path. And what I've done is I've, I've looked at the teams, I've understood the culture, I read people well, I talk to people, I write it down and I learn from it. And I have this innate kind of wisdom that says to me, if you build a relationship game and you win it, if you, if you build a foundation of caring, connection, then those who you are coaching will take all of the good information, the X's and O's and all the great strategies, techniques that you have. And what they'll do is they'll be more willing to go the distance with that. And, and you know, I don't take it from myself, uh, Gary uh, and John, uh, you know, I work with these coaches like, uh, like Steve Kerr or, or Phil Jackson and, uh, and Anson Dorrance. And, and, and I talk to them and, and, and they say to me, they say, you know, Jerry, we would never to win a national championship, to win a world championship. You've got to have all the X's and O's. You've got to have the details down. He said, but without that foundation of caring, without that foundation of love between coach and team, nothing's possible. And John Wooden, upon his retirement, made it really clear that the reason why he was so successful, and everyone's expecting him to come out with the X's and O's stuff, and he said, the reason I was so successful was I had a lot of love in my coaching. And from that place, people were willing to go the distance. So both are important. I'm not going to put a weight on one or the other, but what John and I are trying to accomplish here is wake up some coaching uh, situations out there who A, aren't aware of that component or B, are aware of it and don't know what to do with it. And I'm here to say, you know what? I can help you with that. I can give you that piece so that you have both the affective and the technical together at the same time. Mm. Yeah, great. And, and, you know, Gary, I think, I think there is something to be said about the person who, the coach who, you know, is very detailed in their organization and their practice planning and things like that. But I've met many who are very organized in that side and then not the psychosocial side of things, right? So they've got all that stuff nailed but they're not paying attention to the relationships and the human side of things. Now, I think what great coaches do as well is, is they recognize their strengths and say, okay, if my strength is this, then I surround myself with people who take care of the human element, right? And, and just like maybe a guy like Alex Ferguson, who is amazing at the human element, and s surrounded himself with a Steve McLaren or a Carlos Quiros or whatever, these guys are running the sessions, they're doing this stuff and I'm managing the people. And so I, I think I, I, it's always both, but I think what, one of the things that we have to be careful about in, in sport in general um, is um, that, that we tend to value the things that we can measure because it's hard to measure a lot of the things that we really value and, and we have to figure out how to measure them or see them um, and, and also intentionally develop them within our teams, just like we develop the other stuff. And if we're a little more intentional about establishing trust, if we're a little more intentional about letting people weigh in, if we're more intentional about developing the leadership within our team and then giving them the opportunity to lead, then we're going to be in a much better situation than if we just leave that kind of stuff to chance. No, I, I agree. I, I think it's both. But, yeah. but I guess I'm not, I'm not one of these people that needs, that needs cohesion measured. Quite the opposite. I think Measuring everything has done more damage than good. Definitely <laughs> to the game of football. Over the last 10 years, yeah. it has. that's another topic. But mm -hmm. I, what I'm looking for is, I guess, is, is the narrative of, hey, you know, you can't be a good coach. You know, you can you do all the X's and O's. But the X's and O's, to me, aren't good enough. The, the X's and O's, are there's psychology involved in X's and O's. See, because you've got to be able to know. You, 
you can't have someone who's just communicating, have a nice day every day without the quality work. Which brings us along nicely. There, uh, one of the coaches in one of the rooms has asked, well, what would be some pra- uh, practical examples where you take, again, I know this person, I won't name him because he's obviously writing in the private room. He's got 30 plus players coming in for pre-season. Practical examples of, he's probably only got four or five real intense days, 24-7 days. What are some practical examples of driving or, or starting that cohesion work? Uh, is it better to do like one big event or is it better to layer it in small events throughout that preseason? I think basically, uh, you know, it's not a question of how you're going to layer it or how you're going to do it. I just think that uh, in the beginning, when you walk in a room and you're one of 30 athletes, and you have a coach or a coaching staff there, uh, what's really going to light your fire, what's really going to light up the room is if you're feeling important and you feel relevant to this situation, if you're feeling valued, if you're feeling empowered and respected, from that place, the conversation can begin and listening starts to happen. So I think it has to start someplace, and I think it doesn't start with, okay, guys, Get out your notebooks, and this is what we're going to do. It's basically, this is how we're going to be. You have to form a culture. You have to have a culture where there's trust. If there's no trust, there's no coaching. Absolutely. You cannot you cannot lead a group in battle if they don't trust you. And, and so you build that trust through human interaction, through relationships. Like I said to Steve Kerr one day, I said, so what was the most important game you ever won? on that road to the championship. And he looked at me, he said, Jerry, he said, that's easy. He said, I walked in the locker room and I won the relationship game. And he said, from that point, people started to buy in to the system itself. So, you know, in in relation to this question, uh, there's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of books out there on team building. There's a lot of books out there on, on activities that you can work with with the team. Uh, but in terms of cohesion and, and trust, I think it's going to come from the coach who, A, feels confident, who feels uh, open to uh, listening to others, and, and also able to understand through asking the right questions. And that sets the foundation. And from that place, now we can start using various types of uh, activities uh, to build that kind of uh, connection and that kind of cohesiveness that we're talking about. And, and the possibilities are endless. We have numerous ones in the book that, that will help coaches to do that. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think Gary, like, right. You know, someone who's got 30 on the team, you know, 11 start 16 play 18 or 20 travel, right? Like you have to figure out how to give everyone a role and, and feel like, Hey, I can contribute this even if I, I don't play. Um, and, and so I think it's always remembering that, you know, building your culture, building that cohesion, it's not an event, it's a process. It's little things that you do every day. Uh, as a coach, I think it's the individual meetings, the one-on-ones to make people feel valued, to meet them where they are and all that. I, I had a really interesting conversation actually the other day with a woman named Molly Grisham. And, and she said something to me that I it was very thought provoking. She used to be a college soccer coach. And she said, said, you know, when you think about college soccer, there's as a coach, you have two different relationships with players. You have the relationship of with the player as a recruit, right? And you're basically selling your program to them. And then the day they walk into preseason, now you're coaching them. And you're demanding and you're hard and and you're pushing them and whatever. And she's like, I've met with so many kids, you know, one month into their career who are like, oh, as soon as the season's over, I'm hitting the transfer portal. Why? Well, because coach is a is a completely different coach than the person who recruited me. And 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 she's like, so, you know, I explained to the player like, well you know, he was trying to get you to come here, but now he's coaching you. Now he's may or she, right. Is making you better. Now they're, they're pushing you and they're challenging you. But when we say that to the coaches, they're like, wow, I never really thought about that shift in the relationship and I, how I have to 
navigate that little piece. So, you know, so I think like one of the things as a coach and I have a big group is, you know, in, in group, we write in the book about, you know, in, in group dynamics, this 10, 80, 10 rule. In most groups, you have 10% of people do everything. They show up early, they stay late, they follow, you know, they adhere to your values. They, they are, they're your model teammates, your model people. And then a lot of teams have 10% at the bottom. Right. And, and they show up late. They're not bought in. They don't do that. And then we usually have 80 percent in the middle. And some days they go one way and some days they go to the other. And as coaches, we spend a lot of time often and energy on that bottom 10 percent because it's obvious and they really piss us off. But um, the advice that I like is if you get your top 10 percenters and focus on um, some of those 80s. Who's someone who's there two days a week? And if they got there four days a week and really were just top notch would make a difference for our team. Now, every team that I work with, when I sit down with like the leadership group, you know, at a point in the season, I'll say with them, Hey, who can you guys name someone right now that if they got on board, if they stepped it up, it would make a massive difference to our team. And, um, and every one of them is like, yeah, we could name that. I'm like, well, let's be intentional about that, right? Now, let's just hope that, you know, Jerry, you know, has a good practice. You go and make sure Jerry has a good practice. You talk to him, you bring him into the mix, put him in your group, put him in your rondo, whatever it is, like do that. Because if you turn that top 10 into a top 15 or a top 20 or a top 25, you have a damn good team. And it also becomes uncomfortable to be someone who doesn't buy in, who doesn't do the extra work, who doesn't go to the weight room and stuff. So sometimes spend more time on your, on your top tens and, and empower them to go get some of those people in the middle. I, I think that's a really, really powerful tactic. And every college team that I've worked with, when we've done that, I've seen people who are having average seasons become all Americans in a year because of that you know, join us at the top here. And one more thing, John, let me add to this, Gary, uh, yeah. in terms of uh, Dean's question, uh, which is a great question. And uh, I want to get real practical with him. Uh, look, you know, what's better than getting a team to be authentically themselves? What's better than get a team to, uh, to come together and unify and galvanize? Uh, what you do is you give them some input, you give them some skin in the game. And that skin in the game comes from them finding out what makes them cohesive, not me, the coach, telling them how we're going to be more cohesive. So what I like to do, and we do this throughout this book with these questions, I love to ask the right question. And in this particular case, the right question is this. I have the whole team now, 30 of them, sitting in a circle. And the circle, by the way, is very symbolic of unity and cohesion, right? That's why we're in a circle. We're all together, locked hands, locked arms, whatever it is. And when they're in that circle, I ask the question, so what do we need to do that we're not doing in order to be a more cohesive, unified team? And you have them answer that question. Maybe break the 30 up into uh, uh, six groups of five. Do I have that right? Six times five is 30. Yeah. So you have six groups of five. And each group, you have a captain in each group. And that captain is responsible for reporting the information given by the other five, four people. And you say, what do we need to start doing that we're not doing in order to be more cohesive? And then you have them answer a second question, which is, what do we need to stop doing that we are doing in order to become more cohesive? And between those two questions and between uh, uh, five, six groups of five, we're gonna have, we're gonna have answers and, and strategies and techniques and all kinds of great information. Where does it come from? It comes from them. If they're saying it, they believe it. If they believe it, they'll buy into it. So that I find that to be a very, very practical way to deliver the message of this is how we're going to be in our culture. This is about us. Well, what if you're facilitating that? And, and, and this is where I think in pra the practicalities, if you're coming in and changing a culture, and you're sitting with a group group of players and you you're doing that exercise that group of players maybe need a bit more education or maybe a little bit more information of what is well 
you know, what what do we need to stop doing? Well, we need to stop getting up so early to practice because I'm tired or we need to stop doing long practices because I don't feel good. So what if that goes against, and rather than having 50 pieces of noise that you have to navigate through that there, how does a coach do almost lead them? You, you said about not telling them what to do, but you're you're a facilitator. You have to lead them in a certain direction. If you want to, if you want to, a culture that's going to be performance based, you've got to start to to almost lead them in a way that's going to have performance at the top. Yeah, I don't want a performance based culture myself. What I want is I want a values based culture. But that's not what you said. But that's not what you said before, Jerry. But you said judge it on your on all your wins. On you said 115 championships. So yeah. I'm that's what I'm going to say. Like it's we want to win a championship, so we're going to try and move that there. Yeah, like within values and and but performance is about winning. Well, I'm I'm not concerned. Like I said, uh, I'm not concerned about outcomes and results. Because if 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 you if you can have a culture that's a winning culture, that wins the day every day and does the right things and makes good decisions, the byproduct of that is the championship. Championships are never won in and of themselves. They seem to be the outcome and the byproduct of doing all the right little things. And when we add up all the little things and we come together, it turns out to be something pretty dynamic. And it starts from within and it's within the, it's within the culture itself. So I, I don't know, I don't have all the answers. So I don't wanna walk into a, a team situation and pretend that I do, but I do know that within every one of them, they have ways of coming up with, uh, these are the things that we need to do to bond. These are the things we need to do to, to be more cohesive. Now, there might be some things that are contrary to what the direction we want to go in. Well, that's open for discussion. It's all, it's all about discussion. And we take these, we take these responses and we, we throw it around the room and we find out, well, what's going to make it work for you? What's going to make it work for you? How can we in, embrace this? You know, the, 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 coach, the coach him or herself uh, talked with Anson Dorrance recently and uh, from Carolina, soccer coach, women. And uh, he said, Jerry, he said, you know, I purposely schedule, I purposely schedule challenging, difficult games that I'll probably lose. He said, and the reason I do that is I'm not so concerned about winning the game as I am winning in my culture. And what he meant by that was that by losing, nothing better galvanizes a team. Nothing better brings a team together in terms of cohesion than a loss. But that's up to the coach. The coach needs to handle that in the proper way so that when it's handled correctly, we come together and we say, you know what? We just lost two games. We lost to Stanford. We lost to Santa Clara. Now the question is not, you know, what's wrong with us? The question is, how did that bring, how does that bring us together? The other question is, why are we a better team because of those losses? And if we can't figure that out, then you're, then what's happening is you're, you're, you're developing a culture that's totally dependent on whether you win or lose and you're measuring your self-worth based on that when there are so many variables that contribute to these championship teams. I mean, if you look at the Golden State Warriors as an example, winning was never the objective. It never was and it never has been. And, and what was the objective was we wanna build a culture where people will play together, galvanized, come together, be unified and, and allow each other to play for something bigger than any one individual. And that starts with the coaching and that's where the coach needs these skills. And that's where the leadership comes in. Hello coaches, we'll just take a quick break here. If you're preparing for the new season, you're looking for some session ideas, please head on over to modernsoccercoach.com. In the shop, we've got some free resources. We've also got eBooks around press and eBooks around attacking sessions, scanning, all stuff that you can implement in your pre-season planning. If you're a college coach and you're listening to this and you're looking at creating some tactical analysis frameworks, we have a webinar coming up on July 26th 
which is about creating effective tactical analysis frameworks during a college season. Big, big challenge with college, as I know well, is that you're playing games on the weekends. So understanding that there, I'm going to look at some ways that you can still implement analysis processes into your season, scouting, player development, feedback, all around your game model, all around opposition analysis. Please join us July 26th. You can register for that on modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. All the support is very, very much welcome. If you enjoy the content and you want to support it, the best way to do that is to head on over to the shop and just to order something. And if you want to go that extra yard, give it a shout out. Tell your coaching community and your friends that you enjoy the Modern Soccer Coach work. It really, really helps. And we really, really appreciate the support. Thanks very much. Yeah, I think the winning, like I just, Golden State Warriors, Bulls, All Blacks, Barcelona. Are we looking at these culture? Like what's what's a great culture that doesn't win? If winning isn't important, like who are value-based that that maybe are, are in a different stage of their development as a team? Because if you're rebuilding a culture, you're not gonna you're not gonna get there. Losing doesn't galvanize a team if it's the fifth defeat in a row. It it's got the potential to galvanize a team if they're winning nine out of ten of those other games. I, I get that there. But like coaches that struggle are in the trenches looking at the abyss of six defeats in a row or like I feel good about my culture, but we're not winning games. Like that's what I kinda want to get into. Yeah. Mm. Gotta look I mean, at your recruiting, you gotta look at who you're having on your team and what kind of personnel you have. So it's really uh, a great question, but it's very complex. And it, it's, we're open to many ways of going with that. What do you think, John? Well, I mean, I think also, I know, Gary, your followers range from people who were coaching professionally in college to there's a question there about 13-year-olds. And I think you approach that differently, right? Is, you know, if I'm at the professional level, I'm in sport for entertainment, right? I am going to be ultimately always judged on whether I won or lost, right? If I'm coaching 12-year-olds, there's a development factor to it that, you know, we, you know, we might lose a lot of soccer games because I'm encouraging my kids to play out of the back as opposed to just whack it over the top and, you know, to the fast kid. Right. So I think just a little nuance there is important, but I also agree. I also agree with you, Gary, like, you know, nothing galvanizes a group like having some success as well. Right. So in planning your season, you know, do you, you know, if you're, you know, a, a top team and you know, yeah, I, you know, there's these games that I'm probably going to win no matter what in my conference. Um, so let me schedule some games that are tougher so we can, you know, know what that feels like. Or, man, I have such a tough conference. Uh, I better schedule some games that I know we're going to win just so we can feel pretty good about what we're doing. But I think what's really important is that you know, turning around a culture is, it's not an event. It's not a week. It's not a month. You might get lucky in a season, but it takes a couple of years, right? It takes a couple of years to move people in and out of that locker room or to get people who are in that locker room to, to buy in to the, the team dynamic and things like that. If I'm a professional coach, I have what, six weeks sometimes <laughs> to turn it around or I'm right back out the door. That's very different than if I, you know, am a club coach or I would think most college coaches, unless you do something egregious, you have at least a couple of years to start getting it, you know, getting it right. So, um, but, but true cultural buy-in and change often takes a long time. Um, and, and you have to be patient with it and you have to look for the small gains and you have to look for the gains in all these different areas. And I think those gains are reflected in, right. We, we, you know, we've gotten really good at film and analysis. We're way better in the weight room than we used to be because we've bought into that more. We're way better and more focused in the training environment. And so to kind of get back to your like original question, Gary, like you said, what if the team comes up with things that you don't agree with, right? Well, you're still the head coach, 
right? It's still your program. It's still your job on the line. So just because they want something, if they say, yeah, you know, we'd rather not practice. Well, that's not what you signed up for. So there's still terms and conditions that when you agreed to come to this program or play here, you've agreed, agreed to those. Um, and, um, you know, if those don't work for you, then this probably isn't a great place for you. Um, and now what are the things that we can agree upon within our program um, that, you know, fall within the boundaries of, you know, what we value and the standards that we've set. And I think that's important. So as a coach, you're never giving up all responsibility for what it's supposed to be like and feel like, and what's the environment like, because ultimately that's up to you. But the more that your team gets to weigh in on, on what is this like, the more they're likely to buy in on, on, on what, what's this going to be. And that's my experience with some pretty successful teams um, as, you know, an athlete and, and as a coach and as a consultant. You, you guys need to work on less with less successful teams because that's where the reality is. For example, the mismatch of com commitment and performance. If this, if player at the bottom of the roster put in a little bit more commitment, they would start playing more. But a lot of coaches, like Ed said it there, like what if the what if the top player lacks in commitment? So that's the player that scored all your goals, or there's a mismatch between, hey, listen, they are actually playing well, but their commitment level's low. They're not a great teammate. And then you have the other side, you have someone that's maybe at the bottom end of your roster in terms of ability and performance, but you know, they've got a positive attitude and they do the right things. How do you manage that there with also the caveat of, hey, listen, it's college. You know, yeah. You're a student athlete. Yeah. Well, you, you can't, yeah, but you can't make cuts because scholarships are, you know, so there's that dynamic too. Like, I get it. You said at the start, Jerry, about one bad apple. But like in, in today's college world, you're not stuck with that bad apple, but you're going to have to navigate around a solution without going like that there. And that's where I'd love to hear a little bit about like the, the imperfect world of who contributes and who puts the work in and, and having to solve that there as a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about eight years ago, I was working at uh, North Carolina University uh, with the women's lacrosse program. And the coach, Jenny Levy came and said, Jerry, we've got three kids on this team who could crush our team. They're good, they're good athletes, they're talented, they've got what it takes, but they're really, really causing problems. And she went on to list the problems and what was happening. And I said, Jenny, what do you want? And, and, and she said, Jerry, I want us all to, to be one unit, one team coming together for a higher purpose. And I said, well, then what you have to do is you have to go and have conversations with these athletes individually. And you have to sit down and you have to ask them questions. Uh, what would it take uh, for you to be happy? What would it take? What do you need to do to, to, to make this happen? Or what, what do you think, what do you expect from us along these lines? End result was three, two out of the three did not want to be there. And, and it showed in, in their behavior and the way they were acting. And so Jenny freed them up. She said, you know, it's probably, you know, it's probably not my doing, but uh, I'm willing to let you go if you don't want to be here because you're not going to have a good time. It's not going to be fun for you. And maybe we have a meeting with your parents or whatever, and we'll figure this thing out together. But she said, you're free to go. I, I just... You know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to work with what I have, and what I have is people who want to work hard for each other. And then the third one, she said, you know, Coach, uh, I'm glad you brought it up. I wasn't aware. Thanks for calling me in, asking me these questions, but I really get it, and I really understand how I'm interfering with the progress. She stayed. She went on to become the second leading scorer in the history of North Carolina. And, you know, to this day, Jenny still used that uses that technique of, you know what, I'm going to sit down and talk to the athletes and say, this is where we're going. We'd love for you to join us. I'd love nothing more for you to get more playing time. But the thing is, are you willing to do this, 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 and this? And if they say no, or they hesitate or whatever it is, then you invite them 
to leave. You know, you just say, you know, it's an option. And, and so now keep in mind, this is at the collegiate level. You know, if we're talking about the youngsters, uh, it's a very different situation. Then we then we have to go to the parents and sit down and talk with the parents about that. Well, but even at the collegiate level where scholarships are worth 50, 60 K in, in 2023, I, I just don't see like from Jenny's stories, brilliant, but there's a lot of coaches that are going to have, I know, I know quite a few coaches that have had that conversation and the coaches or the, the the player has declined the invitation of, Hey, if you're not happy here, you know, you know, go, go do something well, you else. Gotta, yeah. You, you've got to see, you've got to set the boundaries. This isn't about like, because we're being athlete centric, it doesn't mean the athlete is controlling and, you're the you're the leader you're the one who has the ultimate make the ultimate decision so you have to have boundaries and and the, the student needs to be the student athlete needs to be aware of this so yeah you you don't you might want to stay with us but if you do this is what's going to be asked of you this is what's going to be required do you think you could handle that yeah coach i'm all in well the first time they go against that and they break that boundary you sit down with them again. This is a process. And you say, look, you agreed. I was there. You told me this was going to happen. Help me understand. Help me understand why what you did today really makes sense in light of the boundaries that we set with you and the team and what have you. So it's a it's a balance. And you let them know that, you know, this is not part of the agreement. And, and it's got to be clear. So you don't have those kind of people saying, yeah, coach, I'm going to be coming back. And then they continue to do the same stuff. And that disrupts everybody. And then before you know it, you know, you're out of control. Coach has no control, no respect. You know, I think, Gary, like it's easy to speak about, right, teams that have done well. Certainly Jerry and I have worked with teams that have, have not done as well. And I, you know, have a lot of friends in coaching Guys, that's, that's the book you need to write, guys. That's the book. Honestly, <laughs> honestly. That's yeah. The well, you know, one of my, I mean, one of my favorite books, and then I'll, you know, just tell you a story on your question. Uh, th there's a book, a John Gordon book called You Win in the Locker Room First um, with the old coach, the Atlanta Falcons, where he built this culture um, and they went to like two championship games in a row in three seasons and then he writes the book about how he blew it, right? And it's one of the first books, you know, most books you write, it's like my winning season, right? Well, what about the seasons that went wrong? And, and so, and two years later, he lost his job. And he talks about all the little cultural things that he had done to get the program to hear that then he just took for granted, right? And then they slipped. And it was a lot of it was relationships with the staff, with the trainers, how the, the things you you paid attention to that you started to ignore. So I, I think, you know, th there is that book out there now. I mean, I've talked, you know, with friends and coaching or coaches that I've worked with, you know, and you know, let's face it, like Division One men's soccer, we have nine point nine scholarships and we're putting 11 people on the field. Right. I, I've had a coach sideline. 90% of a scholarship because the player was so toxic and said to the player, you know what? Keep your scholarship. You're no longer on the team, right? Because you're so toxic with your behavior, your lack of fitness, your lack of buy-in, all this, you're dragging everyone else down, right? So he said it was worth it to the culture to just be without a scholarship for two years, two more years, then have that scholarship in the locker room. But I think, I mean, this is a whole other webinar on how do we work with our athletic administrators and stuff so that we can do this because we certainly live as a college coach in an area of, of cover your ass, right? You can't work on an island anymore because yeah, you, you will, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords that can cost you your job if you're not careful. And so navigated this very, very carefully and, and sidelined basically an entire scholarship and said it was worth not having a scholarship. And if this kid's going to stay in school, so be it. He can stay in school. We'll play with one scholarship less. It's a better locker room without this kid. And then, you know what? And what's the lesson? 
we have to work so hard in recruiting to understand the the who who we're getting right like those are the most important questions going and looking at their their soccer skill is is such a small part of it now because the the facilities and the things that people get as a, especially as a division 1 college athlete at a big school you know they're not going to leave why would I leave? I get free food. I get free tutoring. I, I have this incredible facilities. Yeah. I'd ra I'd rather just be the thirtieth player on the team, and and never play. You know, and I feel like that's a big shift that that student athletes have so much they won't give it up, and so we have to be so careful about who walks through that door. But that's a whole other webinar right there. It is. It is. But like, I, I think that's where teaching coaches because there's another side of it as well that Jerry referenced Phil Jackson like Phil Jackson's like the Dennis Rodman story and that in letting him go to Vegas again he knew on the front side what Rodman was bringing to that group how did the meeting go with your first meeting with Rodman and I think it was Jackson that said it went awful and then brought it in but he but the way he the way he managed all that group was like that's probably one of the best sports Brilliant. Brilliant. in terms of unbelievable like like yeah. genius um yeah. what i think would be would be a real positive in the coaching community would be would be actually like the the bad apple like rather than saying all right you're sidelined around that there how do we work with the resistance the conflict whatever the negativity that comes with it because the strain on the coach's relationship this is what i think a lot of coaches are are really facing is that they're trying to get more, as John, you alluded to there, college today is presented as a theme park of beautiful facilities and a daily schedule that makes you happy every day. But the reality of success is tough grain, uh, work every single day. So how does a coach, you, you said it there with Molly, how do you work through someone who initially, initially, and you said it as well through Jenny, I believe, Jerry, initially wasn't on board and you got them on board how does someone like what are some advice to someone to kind of prolong with that again two three years to get a player there or how do you know when it's right to go you know what we need to start again somewhere else one of the things that was brilliant about uh about phil jackson was not how he dealt with compassion by the way with us uh, Dennis Rodman, uh, you'd have to have compassion for his life and understand where he's coming from, was his ability to communicate what had to be done in that organization in order to be successful while using Dennis's physical talents, even though emotionally he was, he left a lot to be desired. Uh, so that was part of his brilliance, leaning on the team and saying, I need your help. I'm going to need your help with this one. And uh, Rod, Dennis is going to help us, but uh, you have to help me. I'm the coach, but without your support, uh, whatever I try with Dennis is not going to work. So he got everybody on board for that. And they understood that clearly. Uh, with, uh, with Jenny, what's really interesting is the story that I told you with the two, the three athletes, uh, that led to some amazing growth on her part as a coach. And what she started doing after that was her recruiting process involved questions, uh, observations, comments, uh, chats with the parents, uh, talking to other teammates of theirs in high school. And she would do this and decide, is this someone who has led the nation in goal scoring that we wanna have? Or are we willing to settle for someone who is maybe 15th in the nation in goal scoring, but yet their background is impeccable. They come from a solid family. I'm never going to hear from those parents. They're, they're going to put the total trust of their child in me. And so she collects all this information and the recruiting process. If you look at the Carolina kids, they're not always the top kids in the country. They're top kids, but they're not the top kids. And a lot of those top kids go to other programs. And before you know it, in a year or two, they were entering the, the portal and looking to go elsewhere to bring their package of whatever their package happened to be. So as a coach, we want to make sure 
like at the younger ages that we have conversations with the parents, for instance, like, is your child, this is the direction we're going to go. Is your child ready to go there? Do you feel as though this is something that's going to be good for your child? Uh, at the high school level, college level and beyond, you can handle a little differently, especially at the college level with the recruiting process. Get the parents involved, have parent meetings, go, go to the home, figure out, you know, what is this family like? Oh, my God, what an amazing family here. They're going to give me nothing but support. And uh, so it, it wound up changing uh, how she went about doing this recruiting. I guess my takeaway from that, uh, Gary, is uh, we got to be careful if we can afford to be. Uh, who we're bringing on board because you could take a kid who might not score uh, as many goals as the next kid, but you can train that kid technically, technologically, and in all ways, uh, how to be a better version of themselves on the field as an athlete. Hmm. You know, um, I think, I mean, to talk about Phil Jackson, I mean, two weeks ago, Jerry and I spent 90 minutes. We, we got a hold of Phil on zoom from his ranch and, and we talked about, this situation without sharing too much of it because it was something that he shared with us for our upcoming conference. You know, the other thing to remember about Dennis Rodman was he was part of the Pistons, right? And that was the team that just absolutely beat up the young bulls and bullied them and, and thrashed them and fouled them and the bad you know, boys. The, the right. And so, and then, and then Rodman went to the Spurs and didn't do well. And then they had the chance to get him. And he said, so part of it was, getting the leadership of his team and saying, I know this player can help us win, but he, he's not going to exist within the boundaries of how we've done things. Can we, can we bring him in? And, and, and the team, the Jordans and the Pippins would have said, yeah, we can like there, this, the, this is important. We want to win. He'll help us win. He's a unique individual. We have to meet him where he is. So at that level, at that professional level, a Phil Jackson, who is an incredible wise coach, he gave his senior players ownership of, yeah, we, we can absorb this player um, because the culture can, can take him and, and we'll do things. And he said, you know, they had to make rules for Dennis that, that if Dennis Robin got fined every single game that he played for the bulls, he was fined every single game because he wouldn't show up at the stadium and be on the court and do the warm up and all the things required. And they made the decision that we're going to pay that fine every game for him rather than, you know, try to make Dennis because he's like, he could, he, he did not have the capability of being on the court an hour and a half before a game mentally, he could not be there. Right. And so that's coaching at that level, right. Can we, can our culture, bring in a player that can do that. The younger the kids are, the more of, Hey, we're really trying to shape that behavior and change that behavior and teach that, that especially a child, you know, to, to, to buy in and the importance of it, right? We can't take a 14 year old and go, man, he's so good. Forget about his behavior. We're not helping that kid for the long term, right? That kid needs mentorship and guidance. And we look at where he, he or she comes from and the family and the influences in their life. And so we try to really understand what's the trauma, what's the, why is she or he like this? And then can we move them in the right direction, right? Can we help them attach to a future version of themselves? And I think those are my finest and most rewarding moments as a coach. And I think most coaches would agree is, is that, is that player. And, you know, sometimes that growth isn't acknowledged by the player for 10, 15 years. Right. And then you get that random phone call or that email and you see that name pop up in your box and you're like, Oh man, what's this going to say? Right. And I've had some of them say, you know, coach, I just want to say, thanks. You know, I really, it meant a lot that you, you kept caring. Some of them have been a wedding invitation and some of them have, you know, been spam. Right. So it's like, <laughs> you know, so, but, but I mean, that's coaching. Yeah. Like that's what we've signed up for. Yeah. I like, uh, uh, Gary, um, you or I could read it. Uh, Peter, uh, Bajetta or Bagetta made a really interesting comment. That yeah. It's over what we're doing here. You want to read that? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is uh we're going to wrap up in the next 10 minutes here. So let's, Let's kind of focus on this to, to finish it up. And the coaches, I'm sorry if I've missed you. Um, always look 
how that player being recruited interacts with student managers and the least talented athletic player on the team who doesn't play much. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, Peter. Guys, take that one. Like, because again, we're talking about, I, I, I said I don't know how I feel, I'm going to tell you how I feel. We're talking about Michael Jordan um, demanding, uh, I read Kobe Bryant's book uh, a couple of weeks ago, like, wow, what a personality. And a, like that, those types of personality are going to be difficult to live with as you're a teammate. Um, so I don't know if, if that's exactly right to say, like, oh, if, if their parent carries their bag into the gym, they're lazy. Or if, you know, if I don't think that exists in, in sport where there's a guarantee. Ah, no, not for me. You mentioned there about, well, I'll tell you what, John, you probably saw it today. Delhi Alley news and the, you know, about yeah, did, all yeah. wow, like all the stuff that we didn't know about. Yeah. I guess my thing would be like, I want to go a bit deeper to that to kind of finish it up. How do you, how do you know someone at deeper level to, to understand that there is Delhi Alley history and, and really, really deep stuff? How do you find that out without, uh, one, without, you know, being, going and calling people that you shouldn't be calling, or two, you know, without or in a time sensitive manner because you don't have three years to work this out. Right. And I and I think, right, for anyone who didn't see it, right, Deli Alley just came out and he just spent six weeks in rehab and talking about sexual abuse as a child and, you know, uh, addiction to sleep meds, I think it was, and yeah. stuff like that. Right. And yeah. And it's like, um, you know, so it, it's, it's really interesting, right? Jerry and I have done 330 something podcasts. Um, and the the coaches across so many sports the 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 a lot of times we'll get out of them like if you could have done something different in your career or at the end of the season what would you do and pretty much to a man or a woman everyone says more individual meetings mm. more individual meetings that's what would have unlocked the player that i didn't unlock that's what have would have unlocked the team that I didn't unlock. And, and I just think that's great advice of that, that one-on-one -on -one communication. Now we live in a world of safe sports. So be smart about it. Be careful about it. You, you can't be having one-on-one -on -one closed door meetings with 10 year olds or 16 year olds or opposite sex or whatever, right? Be smart, but the ability to connect one-on-one -on -one and figure out what makes that, that player tick what is driving him or her to, um, you know, to, to behave or act the way they do? Why are they good some days and bad other days? Pay attention. Notice those things. Have a good conversation. Listen to what they say. Right. That that's that's coaching. And, and that's how you really get at it. And so, you know, I do think there's something about, you know, how does someone how does someone treat? someone who can't help them. Right. There's something to be said about that in life. Um, and, but I think also we appearances can be deceiving as well. So the, the more that we can get to know someone, the more likely we are. And I think as a coach, there's so many things that we can do, right. If I have a kid who misses a practice, right. I, I coach, you know, 16 year old boys right now and they miss a practice because, you know, they still play piano and they have some big piano competition. My first question the next time that I see them is, Hey, how'd it go? Mm -hmm. Right. Like you, I, I want to connect with the human being out there, yeah. right. The, 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 someone who does another sport, whatever. And so I think this is the, this is it, right. More meetings, more connection, uh, more one-on-one -on -one understanding will help you reach even it'll give you the best chance to reach even the most difficult kids. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that, John. Love that. Jerry? Yeah, well, uh, same thing. I, I have to uh, agree with John on that one. Uh, we coach, we don't coach sport. We coach people. And uh, the people is the operative word right there. And uh, that's what made some decisions that Phil made with, with Dennis. He was coaching the person, uh, not an athlete, who, not a rebounder. And uh, so that's why in this book, The Champion Teammate, the very first word, uh, timeless lessons to connect. We put that first because it is first. Without that connection, it's going to be hard to get kids to compete. Without that competing, 
then the leadership piece is going to fall apart. So connection to me is, is the key to just about anything that we do, whether we're coaching uh, sports or whether we're leading a missionary group into Africa or whether we're being uh, generals in the army, it doesn't matter. Life is life. I'm a dad of four kids. Uh, if I don't connect with my kids, there's no, there's no parenting. Uh, you know, I have to be able to do that. And even today, the, the three of us connecting uh, really made this thing fly. So uh, that's my final word on that connection piece. Brilliant, brilliant. Right, bang on five o'clock as well, or uh, two o'clock your time. So, guys, I, I really, really appreciate it, folks. I'm sorry I didn't get through um, all the questions, but if it makes you feel any better, yeah, I got through like three out of my ten. Um, guys, thank <laughs> right. you so much. Everyone, thank you so much for carving That's out fun. the time from appreciate your parts it. of the brilliant. world. And Gary, thank you to all the great Go work on, you do, brilliant. man. Big fan. Now, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.